his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hand of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this must not ever happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are set in your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Then Jesus told his disciples, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? For the Son of Man is to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay everyone for what has been done. Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will taste, not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I invite you to be seated. So with each of our scripture stories and passages from Matthew this month, they have come in sequence and back to back. It's a rapidly unfolding story. And I've asked us to consider all these stories through the lens of a creative, a transforming, and a healing God. I've hoped to convey that this creative nature of God, the one that created all the universe, is still at work even today and that we're objects of that creative force. And I hope they have invited us to consider that we each have room and the need to grow and even be changed. How often do we come to church expecting to be affirmed? Probably often. How often do we come expecting to be changed? Probably less often. We like to be affirmed in what we know, but God is a creative force that we're still trying to comprehend. So today is our last story in this series, and we will see that even the best of us, represented by Peter, the top student, we can misunderstand what it means to follow Christ. And when this happens, we are invited, as Jesus invites Peter, to consider the cross if we want a better, a more full understanding of what we misunderstand. Jesus talks today about our way of thinking. It's our mindset. He talks about human thinking and divine thinking. And it's at this intersection of human and divine that we encounter and understand the cross. So you might recall that last week, Peter was indeed the star pupil. He had been asked by Jesus, who do you say that I am? And Peter responds, you are the Messiah. You are the Son of God. Jesus gave him acclimates and he proclaimed that this truth will be what the church to come will be built on. It is the foundational truth. My, how things change in three or four verses. Peter has moved from being star pupil to being called Satan. Or put it another way, he has become a stumbling block instead of a solid rock. So what has Peter said that warranted such a rapid change? What had he said to offer to get such a rebuke and to be Lord and humbled in this way? Maybe, maybe it was his own rebuke of Jesus. After Jesus 
foreshadows his suffering and his death. Maybe Peter felt that he had some authority over Jesus and pulling him off to a side like a teacher would a student. We need to go in the hallway and talk. I never had to do that, by the way. She laughed too hard. Pull Jesus aside so as not to confront him and others, but everyone knew what was going on. He makes himself the teacher instead of the disciple. It's possible that he was stepping out of his own lane, and Jesus had to sternly say, okay, Peter, you're in my lane now. Time to get back in your lane. Or maybe this news embarrassed Peter. He had just said that Jesus is going to be the Messiah, the Son of God, and that meant Jesus would be victorious. Ushering in a new kingdom. Death on the cross, that's no way to bring victory. Death on the cross is an utter defeat. How can Jesus be Messiah and so definitively lose to the powers of the world? The very powers that Peter proclaimed he had come to overthrow. Even so, in truth... I would probably think less of Peter today if he had not responded as he does. It would bother me to think that anyone could so readily accept hearing what Jesus has said to endure the worst and the most unmanageable kind of death and not be moved to say what he said. Maybe his rebuke was as supportive as it was critical. I can imagine the words that Jesus, that Peter speaks coming out of my own mouth. Oh, Lord, forbid it. This must never happen to you, Jesus. Maybe all these have merit. In truth, understanding the cross, the cross is a complex issue. So let's give Peter and ourselves a little room to grow today. Our ideas about the cross can be complicated, sometimes unhelpful, even harmful at times. We sometimes are prone to think that Jesus was being performative. In other words, we can think ourselves or talk of it as if Jesus chose a cross to elevate himself, choosing the most public and the most painful punishment in order to be noticed as a martyr. Others had done this very thing, claiming to be the Messiah. Yep, Jesus was more than a martyr. Much more. His way of thinking about suffering is is different than ours. And this way of thinking about suffering often justifies and rationalizes the suffering of others in hurtful ways. Especially if we want to talk about slavery or domestic abuse. Talking of suffering as if it is a spiritual trial can be devastating. The problem is that it ignores the oppressors or it makes agents makes them agents of divine testing. The cross does not represent a performative act of faith. And those who oppress are not offering spiritual lessons. They're not agents of divine testing. God is not the author of our suffering or our illness or our challenges. God does not test us in that way. I would offer simply that Jesus' mission was a risky one. Especially risky in his religious and political context. He knew what happened to people who did not follow 
the ways of peace as the world understood it. He knew that if he continued his mission of lifting up the lowly, disrupting the status quo, challenging oppression, forgiving people of their sins, and welcoming those considered enemies or strangers, he knew that would mean a cross. His prediction was well-founded, and it was a very logical conclusion. The cross is what happens. So Jesus has a choice to make. He could continue his mission and face the cross, or he could stop his mission and escape the cross. And whether or not Peter fully knew it, he was asking Jesus to make such a decision. Of note, Jesus had already met the devil before. He had met Satan in the wilderness in those 40 days, and there he faced the very same temptation. Peter represents that temptation. In truth, we don't need to wonder why Peter gets this so wrong. Jesus tells us, You're a stumbling block to me, for you're set in your mind not on divine things, but on human things. And then Jesus turns from this one-on-one -on -one sidebar conversation, and he faces everyone else, he faces you and me in the hearing of the gospel and says, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. This was not an invitation to become a martyr. But it was to make clear that we have a choice. The choice is not that we must face the cross Jesus did but like his disciples, choose to follow Jesus, knowing full well that it will lead us to bear our own crosses, sacrifices. We will all come to places in our lives where we must choose divine thinking or human thinking. We don't face this once in life. We face it every day in life. In the human way of thinking, winners get it over losers, right? Power overcomes weakness. Fear can maintain control. But in divine thinking, losers are the conquerors. Weakness is our strength, and we refuse violence towards violence. And not even death is to be feared. Matthew has already made this crystal clear to us with Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. There, the blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for theirs they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth, heaven and earth. It is the weak and the humble who are victors. So Jesus seems to be giving us a clear choice, even if the world continues to think the opposite way. You can choose the human way of thinking or the divine way of thinking. Which will it be? Now this might sound like a categorically clear choice, right? It's either God's way or our way. But is it really so clear? Liddy Barlow was a sixth grade teacher at language arts. And she often helped her students learn to write by using diagrams called graphic organizers to help students organize their thoughts. One of these tools is a Venn diagram that you and I are probably familiar with. You may recall that a Venn diagram takes one or two more things represented by circles, 
It overlaps them on a piece of paper. In that middle where things overlap is where things are in common. And where it does not overlap, those are things that are unique. Now another tool is creating columns with headings that identify things like people or places or animals or things. Now this tool generates a list where we can see clear demarcations between things. For example, a horse has hair and a bird has feathers, right? That doesn't change. They don't overlap in that way. And we tend to like a world where the demarcations are clear. Life feels easier for us when we know things are big or small, right or wrong, up or down, on or off, good or bad. I do. We do it in the Bible even. We categorize. We have the Old and New Testament. We have Greek and Hebrew. We have categories of history and laments and wisdom and gospels and epistles. Each one similar but different. So to help our students see, Barlow would sometimes put items meant from one column into another. As if it was clear and that was the way things were. She gave the example once where she placed bat under a bird heading. Students assumed that this was correct and didn't question it. And she noted that by mentally sorting bats into the categories of birds, you can cause people to waste a lot of time searching for the bat's feathers. They don't have feathers. In doing so, she created what philosopher Gilbert Ryle called a categorical mistake. You might say that Peter's mistake was categorical. He did not think Jesus could be a victorious Messiah and suffer death on the cross. The two made no sense together. Categorically, that didn't work for him. Messiahs are victors. He needed a Venn diagram to understand the cross because the cross stands at the intersection of what is human and what is divine. As Barlow suggests, in that doubled circle where they two are meeting, we find glory and suffering. We find power and vulnerability. We find death and life all at once, all at the same time. We find the one who will tell us to set our minds on what is divine, knowing that's what most divine and what is human. And she goes on to write that to understand God, to set our aim true, we must grasp the incarnation of Christ. Heaven on earth. The kingdom come, but not fully. Not only can we adore the swaddling claws of Christmas, we must also adore the hard road to Jerusalem. We must cope with the scandalous truth that is Christ. And God enters into every human mean and awful thing. So that what seems like the worst our world can throw at us, we also meet the most holy thing there is. It helps me to remember this. And I pray that it helps us all to remember that God is not out there somewhere above watching us only, but in Christ entered our fullness, entered the good and the bad, the joy and the sorrow, the full human experience, and it helps us know that we are deeply understood by our Creator. 
As one person writes, the cross is the place for which every human experience of hell and earth comes together. God knows this. God has been here with us. And as a consequence, we know that we can trust God. Yes, I do believe Peter was categorically wrong to think he could relate to a God who avoided bearing the unthinkable. But take note, this mistake did not disqualify Peter. He was still the rock. He remained the star pupil. But he, like us, still had much to learn about discerning the relationship between what is human and what is divine. Now, Jesus is going to call out the devils that misguide us from time to time. But only to show us that a cross-bearing life is a life worth bearing at all. Church, we are called to exist at the intersections as representative of Christ. We are to bear our crosses, but bearing them together in a supportive community. We are at our best, I believe, when we refrain from spiritualizing our pains and struggles and instead choosing to enter one another's pains and struggles. We must learn to have strong backs and soft fronts. I appreciate the works and the writings of Brene Brown, and she once wrote about the value of having strong back and a soft front. And her point is that sometimes we feel like we must always be strong and, and never weak. We must stand strong with our convictions and never give ground. We must be self-reliant, show no weakness, never let them see us sweat. And we often speak of God this way too, right? God is powerful, God is mighty, God is strong in faith. This is true, but it's not the whole truth, right? We've also followed Christ, who said in our losing, we will gain our lives. In our weaknesses, we gain the kingdom. We value confession and forgiveness and lamenting. And we have a whole book dedicated to laments, using many of the emotions that the world considers weak. I feel like these days we are far better at showing our strong backs than maybe our strong fronts. We need both strength and vulnerability. And I do believe that we, church, are at our best when we can display both. Without flexibility, we are prone to breaking. We must be firm and strong in things that ground us, Things that give us meaning, but flexible enough to see that we might need to change at times, be adaptive at times, and to sacrifice at times, to lose at times. Now wisdom is to know when we need to do what. Grace is to know that when we get it wrong, and we will, that we can try again. And I do believe this is divine thinking. So in part, I suppose an invitation today must be, well... Experience a good loss every once in a while. How can you and I show our soft fronts in a world that's so determined to be hard towards one another? Where might we be more forgiving, understanding, or willing to see where we have more to learn? It's a difficult invite. We have gotten good in the world and not showing our weaknesses. But to paraphrase the thoughts from Henry Nouwen, 
by hiding our soft fronts, we also hide our ability to bring healing and to help people to stand straight again with firmer backs than they did the day before. I imagine a church where people are not afraid to be authentic in this way. I dream of a church where places where we can make mistakes treated with grace, where we feel free to be weak and vulnerable, where differences are met with a common ground desire, where we can call out the devils of hatred that want to live among us and in the world, where we know that we are being changed more than staying the same, in a place where we all meet at the cross. Because it is at this cross that we can only understand Christ is Messiah, the one who entered our human experience in all its delightful and sometimes dreadful truths. God is with us. Thanks be to God. Amen.